We're reading is Psalm 42, which can be found at the bottom of page 567 in the Church Bibles. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, hello. Well, that was okay, wasn't it? Um, my name's Jack. It's great to be with you. Can I have my PowerPoint up on the screen, please? That would be lovely. Um, as Simon said, we've been looking at um, the Beatitudes, looking at these blueprints, foundations for the following the way of Jesus. Um, so we looked at what it means to be poor in spirit, to um, understand our brokenness, to understand that we are nothing without Jesus. We looked, um, we had the Alpha launch in the evening, but if you came in the morning, Dave Fenton looked at those who mourn, mourning our sinful state. Um, last week we looked at our response to that, blessed are the meek, how we respond to others in humility. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I'm going to look at what it means to hunger and thirst, then I'm going to look at what it means to be righteous, and then I'm going to look at what it means to be filled. So let me pray before we start. Father God, thank you that you um, call us to righteousness and you clothe us with righteousness. Father, would we become more desperate for you this evening? Amen. Amazing. Um, talk to the person next to you. When was the last time you were really properly hungry? And this isn't like five minutes before your lunch break hungry. This is like desperate hungry. Talk to the person next to you. Amazing. The um the last time I can remember, I really struggled with this because I've got like low-level hunger all the time. I'm one of those people who just could always have a Twix um, or an Aldi Jai, if you get my drift. Um, yeah, the last time I could think about being really, really properly hungry. You know when you're on holiday and you're looking for somewhere to eat and you, can't, and you go into somewhere and it's really full and you go into the next place? I feel like that always happens to my family. We kinda, I remember a birthday last year and we went to one pub and we looked in and there was nowhere and then the next place and the next place and by the end I would just eat anything. I was so, so hungry. And ultimately, hunger is about absence. And so if you're writing notes, which I hope you are... Um, which I hope you are, it's good, isn't it? Um, when we hunger and thirst, we are desperate for something that's absent. 
When we hunger and thirst, we are desperate for something that is absent. So what are you hungry for? What are you desperate for? What is absent in your life that you're just longing for, that you really, really want? Because the thing is, the world chases after things. We live in a culture that says, me, 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 look at this, look at this, look at this. You want this, you want this, buy this, do this. I was, um, oh, hello, there we go. That's a button, that is. Uh, the other day, I was chatting to the students about Sabbath, um, and I was talking about how our culture is really restless, how our culture is really, really restless and really busy, and that's why Sabbath is important. But I said to them that humans have an infinite desire because we're made to be satisfied by an infinite God. We want and want and want and want because ultimately we're made to be satisfied by God. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We're made to be satisfied by the kingdom of God. We're made to be satisfied by Jesus, by righteousness, right living that comes out of right relationship, that comes out of perfect love. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who want righteousness, or blessed are those who would quite like it. He says hunger and thirst. And he says that for a reason. The people he was preaching to knew hunger. They knew thirst. They knew it as a, as a, as a desperation, as painful, as a, as a real thing, as a natural thing. It's a, it's a driving force almost. And when we look at Psalm 42, we see this driving force. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. We see this as Bambi. We see this as Bambi. We see this as a lovely deer kind of skipping around going, oh, I really hope there's Evian around the corner. Do you know what I mean? Like still or sparkling. We see it as some cute image. But this isn't Disney. It's Attenborough. It, it, it's Attenborough. No, it's, and it's actually not even funny because it's, it's devastating. It's desperate. It's, it's brink of death. It's not Disney. It's Attenborough. We're seeing a deer kind of panting and slowly stopping, not able to find water. That's what this is. There's no water. God spoke to me loads this summer about thirst. We went to wildfires as students, um, and he spoke to me loads about thirst there. And then I went to Teze, which is this Christian community in France, um, where a group of us stepped into the um, kind of rhythm of prayer that these brothers live out three times a day, um, silence and chanting. And one of the chants that they um, would do quite a lot, they did it in Spanish, but this is in English, by night we hasten in darkness in search for living water, only our thirst leads us onwards. Only our thirst leads us onwards. This is desperation. This is, this is driving force. This is actual proper thirst. And the thing is, when we hunger and thirst, we're desperate, but we often try and fill ourselves. Um, in staff meeting, no, staff prayers, sorry, um, a few months ago, I think it might have been Emily told us to go away and um, pray and uh, take some paper and pens. And I drew this image um, and that's me in the middle. It's nice, isn't it? Um, in this wilderness, thirsty, desperate. And rather, than, and rather than noticing the vast expanse of water behind me, I go and I lap up muddy puddles, muddy puddles full of past identity and hurry and temptation and envy and pride and affirmation from others, not seeing the living water that's behind me, not seeing what Jesus had already, has already offered me, what Jesus had already given me. 
And we do this so often. He offers this living water. It's like the woman at the well. The woman um, is at this well, and Jesus comes along and offers her this living water, and, and she says, you can't get me water. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. Like she's, she's, she's saying, you don't understand me. You don't know me. You don't know me, Jewish man who shouldn't even be talking to me. You don't know me. How can you get under my skin? How can you get into my psyche? How can you fulfill me or satisfy me? You don't know me. And Jesus really gently and kindly lets her know that he does know her. He knows what she wants which is affirmation from men, but, but ultimately he knows what she needs, which is relationship with him. That living water, that relationship with him that only he can satisfy. But we need to be desperate. And we need to be desperate for righteousness. And so if you're taking notes, point number two, when we're in relationship with Jesus, we want to live like it. Because righteousness is all about relationship and action. You know, we think of righteousness as right relationship, but also in the Bible, in the law courts, they would be declared righteous if they were innocent. It's not just relationship, it's about action. So in one sense, you could read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who look at the world and see broken relationships and are are hungry for restoration. And and Jesus has a plan for that. When, When Jesus came... He came and died for us so that we could be given righteousness. It's often said in the Bible that we're clothed with righteousness, like a royal robe that, that kind of covers our sin. In Romans, it says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Jesus comes into the picture. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So through faith, God sees us, not in our own sinful attire, not in our rags, not in you know, the pig's will that we've put all over ourselves, but in Jesus' royal robe, in that righteous coat. But because of this new status, we're called to right living in response to right relationship. It's like if we suddenly found out we were part of the royal family. So think of Danny Dyer on Who Do You Think You Are?, Suddenly, he's on the one show in a rough and a cod piece. I don't need to see that, Danny. Like, he changes his actions because he finds out who he is. Think Princess Diaries. You have Anne Hathaway finds out she's going to inherit Genovia. Suddenly, Mary Poppins on the, on the scene. She's got books on her head. It's the lot. She changes her actions because she finds out who she is. And in the same way, when we are given righteousness, when we're clothed with righteousness, we want to act like it. We want to act like it. It's like when an actor puts on their costume and suddenly they can get into character. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that when we take on the identity as a child of God, we have this hunger, a desperation to act in that way like a child of God should. So righteousness is all about relationship, but this relationship produces action. It's cause and effect. Now, I've got a bit of a straw poll here. This might seem tangential, but it does mean something. Christmas chocolate... Hands up. Quality Street. Oh, no, a few. Heroes. Oh, yeah. Celebrations. Chocolate Orange. See, some of you didn't think Chocolate Orange was going to be in there, and you're regretting it now, aren't you? Lindor. Oh, yeah, we're seeing the fancy ones now. There we go, Lindor. Now, the thing is, when it comes to Christmas chocolate, I mean, I say Christmas chocolate as if this isn't the whole year round, but if I say Christmas, it doesn't sound as bad. When it comes to chocolate generally... 
you have a chocolate, yeah? You take the wrapper off, you eat it. Uh, you know how to eat chocolate, it's fine. But then, what happens is you think, oh, I could just have another. And then you have another, and then you have another, and suddenly you have like a pile of wrappers around you. Or if you're clever, chocolate orange, there's only one wrapper. No one will ever know that you've had the whole thing at once. When we get a taste of something, we want more. When we get a taste of that chocolate, when we get a taste of Lindor, we want the whole box. When we get a taste of righteousness, when Jesus clothes us in righteousness, when he gives it to us as a gift, we want more. We hunger and thirst to live like it. In Psalm 42, the psalmist wants more of God's presence in this beatitude. It's all about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but they're intrinsically linked. Because as you come closer to God, you come closer to righteousness. It's like when I preached a few weeks ago about the kingdom of God. The more you're enamored by the light of Christ, the less you want to do with the darkness that the world has. And the thing is, we can never be righteous on our own. We need to have relationship with Jesus for that. And so when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we hunger and thirst for Jesus. We do the right things because we're in right relationship. I heard this amazing story, I think I read it actually in a book, about a woman who was in a domestic abuse situation. And every day, um, her husband would give her a list of things to do, a list of jobs to do, to clean the house, to do this, to do that, to do this. And every day, she wouldn't quite manage to, to do everything on the list. And every day, her husband would beat her up because she couldn't quite make all those things on that list. And by the grace of God, she got out of that relationship. And a few years later, um, she was with another man. And she was just cleaning, just doing some bits and bobs around the house. And she finds one of those old lists. I don't know where it was. It might have been in a book as a bookmark. It might have been in an old jean pocket. And she looks at the list of things. And she, she basically almost weeps as she looks down the list and realizes she's done every single one of them that day. Because when the relationship was built on action, it couldn't be done. But when the action was built on the relationship, that loving relationship, it could. Jesus raises the bar. When um, later on in um, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Luckily, he gives us that righteousness, but he also raises the bar. He says, not only love your, your mates, but love your enemies and pray for them. Not only don't kill people, but don't get angry with them. Not only don't commit adultery, but don't look at somebody lustfully. He raises the bar, but because we're so in love with him, we want to do it. Because we're so in love with him, we can do it when we never could before. When we never could, when the relationship was dependent on it. So we need to be desperate to live for Jesus because he died for us. So, last bit. When we are filled, sin isn't an option. Now, some of you all know I trained to be a teacher. Um, you can't tell, can you? Um, there, are two parts of the, there are two parts of the week as a teacher that I found really frustrating. Um, number one was just before lunchtime every day. The worst. Just before lunchtime, all the kids are just like restless and not even heads down, thumbs up, will stop them. Um, the second bit was Wednesday afternoons. Now, Wednesday, oh, Charlotte's laughing. She knows exactly what I'm going to say. Just before lunch, they're empty. But Wednesday afternoons is even worse, because on Wednesday afternoons, they've just filled themselves with pizza. 
Wednesday in the school I was at was pizza day. And they would basically be one of two things. They'd either all be really lethargic and not quite be able to do anything, or they would be so hyper. Basically, they couldn't do what I wanted them to do. So they couldn't when they were empty, and they couldn't when they were filled with the wrong thing. And in the same way, when we're empty or when we're full of the wrong thing, we can't fulfill our purpose. We can't live life to the full. We simply can't. Think of a car that's not got any petrol in it. It just, it just can't move. But then think of that car full of diesel in a petrol engine. It, it still can't move. If we're full of the wrong thing, we still can't do this. We desperately want to be filled, but we often fill ourselves up with the wrong stuff. Brent Curtis and John Eldridge put this beautifully. They say that we often try to gain transcendence through indulgence. This is where the Lindor starts to bite me in the bum, doesn't it? Transcendence through indulgence. It's a bit like, we've all heard of a vicious cycle. The Lindor is what I call a delicious cycle. But then, I think genuinely that there is a righteous cycle. That the more we're filled with Jesus, the less we want to turn back. It's like what I said about the light of Christ and the darkness in the world. The more we do good, the easier it is. The more generous we are with the little things, the easier it is to be generous with the big things. It's, it, it's simple. It's simple. So when we're filled, sin just doesn't feel like an option. Now, we go to the pub after the 6 p.m. service. Um, students and adults, do feel free to join us. And sometimes, occasionally, accidentally, maybe, we go to McDonald's afterwards. And I say that like it doesn't happen every week. It definitely, definitely does, and I'm often the instigator. And, and so some students who've been here for a while will know that I often equate McDonald's to sin. Because, it's great, no, Brad. Um, because it's cheap, it doesn't film me, it's bad for me, it's fast, it's often easy, when I do it, I regret it, but I still go back every week. It's just like sin. Cheap, fast, easy, nasty, bad sin. And the, and the thing is, especially on a Sunday where we have a service at half six, I'm usually starving by then. I'm usually empty. But if we leave ourselves empty, we're more susceptible to it. If I eat before the, the 6.30 service, or the 6 p.m. service it is now, wow, that's retro, isn't it? If I eat before then, or even if I eat at O'Neill's, which is a bit more expensive, but it's better stuff, and so it fills me up, yeah, righteousness comes at a bit more cost. Then I don't eat McDonald's, or not as much McDonald's. Then... <laughs> It's awful, isn't it? But it's, the, the students are all there like, yeah, there's always a wrap of the day in there somewhere. Um, the, but that's, that's so true. When we're, when we're full, sin isn't an option. The more we fill ourselves up with righteousness, it's like being full up with good food, so there's not as much room for that bad stuff. So we need to be desperate to live for Jesus because he died for us so that we can be so full of him that we have no room for what the world has to offer. So I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. This song's called Stir a Passion. This song is a gorgeous song. It's all about um, asking for more of a hunger, more of a passion for Jesus, to become more desperate for him, to the point that it overflows, to the point that it spills out of us and people around us notice, people around us see how full we are of Jesus.
And we're going to have a prayer ministry team over there. We'd love to pray for you. But before that, can I invite you to stand? I would love to pray with you um, all together that we could pray for more of a hunger and a thirst. This isn't a come to the front thing. This is an everybody thing. And so it might be that you want to raise your hands. Think of Moses in that battle. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really important that we pray aloud for this, that we pray aloud. So I might ask for my mic to be turned off in a second. Pray aloud to be made more hungry for Jesus to be made more hungry for him, that Winchester would become hungry for him, especially as we think of things like the Christmas chalet, especially as we think about things like prison alpha, that Winchester would become more hungry for Jesus, that we would become more hungry not only to know him better, but to live like it.